I think I've shared this little phrase in the not-so-distant past from the great preacher Charles Spurgeon. He says, we cannot trace, when we cannot trace God's hand, we are simply to trust His heart. I was thinking of the young family that uh, they knew they needed a vacation, so uh, they went off to a more isolated place, quiet, solitude, uh, rest from the hustle and bustle. And uh, the one-year-old uh, was just learning to walk. And so that was exciting for the family, exciting for mom and dad as they're encouraging this little guy to take steps. And so they're outside on, on one afternoon on vacation and he's enjoying his newfound mobility and, and he takes a few steps and falls. He cuts open his, his jaw on the, on the cement. And so uh, you know, his, his jaw is split open and he's, he's bleeding profusely. Thankfully, dad has some uh, medical training and so they look for the emergency, the, the nearest facility, medical facility is 45 minutes away. So they find the small emergency kit and he, he finds a needle, but there's nothing there to, to stitch with. But they're on vacation, so they locate the tackle box and uh, find that fishing line. And so as mom pins down the one-year-old, tears streaming down her face, dad begins to stitch. And this, 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 little, this little man stares into his dad's eyes. What is he doing? Why is he hurting me like this? And so the, the dad continues fighting back his own tears to praying that maybe his little boy will understand someday what he's done. We may not understand. We may not trace the hand of our God, but do we trust the heart of our Heavenly Father? It's a question we really could lay before the people of Israel here in Exodus 5. They're hurting. They've, they've been enslaved by a ruthless a master who continues to treat them unfairly. And now conditions are only getting worse. I mean, they've just heard that the God of Israel is on the move. He's appeared to Moses. He's going to do something about this mess. So what is this? He'll build up our hopes and then just scatter them all over the desert. We're worse off now than we were before. What do we make of this? How do we view the response of Pharaoh and the response of the people as well as Moses to what transpires here? And when we look closely at this, it really seems to boil down to that initial response of Pharaoh. That initial question, who is the Lord? You know, it's a question we can really ask at every stop along the way here in Exodus. Who is the Lord to Pharaoh? Who is the Lord to the people of Israel and to Moses? We can, we can summarize an answer for each of these characters in the text. And that's how I want us to look at this passage. Pharaoh's answer to the question is, who is the Lord? Is, I don't know and I don't care. That's the main point. I don't know and I don't care. For the people of Israel, we don't want to know. And then for Moses, the answer is, I thought I knew. So I don't know and I don't care. We don't want to know. And I thought I knew. In that great chapter 11 of Hebrews, the author says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So Moses and Aaron have this audience now with, with Pharaoh. 
We know he's not afraid to ruthlessly exercise his power. So this, this would take some courage on the part of Moses and Aaron to approach Pharaoh with this request that really isn't a request. And so they start with, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go. And that, that type of speech, that formal message pattern, that wouldn't have been lost on Pharaoh. He'd recognize that. But he is honestly ignorant of the God attached to that formal greeting. Who is the Lord? He really doesn't know. And a major theme of Exodus is the Lord making himself known to Pharaoh. Now, if he stops there, that, that's one thing. You know, I, I don't know this Lord. You know, get back to work, Moses and Aaron. I don't know who you're talking about. You know, enlighten me a little bit. He doesn't go there. Okay, look, look at what he tacks on here. I, I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. So his response is not just ignorance, it is rebellion against the Lord. He says that he doesn't know. He's defying the living God. I don't know him, and I don't care. I'm not going to listen to him. Moses, you may say, thus says the Lord, but around here it's thus says Pharaoh. Which is exactly what we read in verse 10. So Pharaoh is not only ignorant, he is he's rebellious in heart. And those under his thumb are going to bear the brunt of his pride, his idolatry. But is, is this not the heart of the unbeliever? It's not our own hearts in sin. Sometimes it, it really is, is not thus says the Lord, it is thus says Brad. Or thus says Bill, or thus says Kevin. We listen to ourselves. We'll follow our own hearts and we'll call the shots. In doing so, we may find ourselves in opposition to the living God. Our hearts grow cold. Our minds get distracted. Our feelings just numb to the work of the Spirit. The Bible says that those whose hearts are in rebellion against the Lord are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, ungrateful, without self-control, slanderous, reckless, and brutal. The abuse and brutality of Pharaoh, it's only going to increase. Do you think, well, what has Pharaoh learned so far that maybe he didn't know already? He's learned that there is a God of the Hebrews. That he's made himself known to Moses. He's learned that this Lord requires a sacrifice. And the worship of the people. It's certainly not a stretch to conclude that the people are looking forward to relief from this God so that they can carry out uh, his desires. It appears at the end of verse 3 there that Moses is adding something uh, to what the Lord told him to say. He may be trying to put a little force uh, behind this request. Uh, he doesn't speak of the firstborn in this first encounter. Um, it's also possible that this is a veiled reference to his experience in the trip over. Preventing the right worship of God is going to have serious consequences. Pharaoh doesn't want to see this. The people of Israel don't want to see this. Again, we can't lose sight of where the real battle is taking place here. This is not Moses versus Pharaoh. It's not Israel versus Pharaoh or Israel versus Egypt. Okay, this is... 
This is the Lord and the gods of Egypt, um, most represented by the person of Pharaoh. And with what Pharaoh has learned so far, he says, I don't know, and I don't care. You know, this is an attitude that we'll find outside the church, inside the church. There's going to be opposition to the gospel message. For those outside the church, you know, the wisdom of God is, is folly. It will be ignored or it'll be openly rejected. So those who, who claim to live as ambassadors of Christ will be attacked, they'll be slandered. And that, that abuse will come from across the spectrum. Maybe at gunpoint, or slandering of a name, a reputation. It could be the, the cutting off, silencing of the voice of Christians. I think that's probably the more likely uh, thread of persecution in the West. Censoring the voice of Christians, mainstream media and social media. Jesus makes it quite clear to his disciples, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. But this opposition also comes from those within the church. We could say that that false teaching and slander, they were the most obvious forms of this opposition, but how about just half-hearted allegiance and no real sense of the battle that is ongoing at this very moment? I think after World War I, the British, uh, they said there, were, there was nothing that was going to uh, bring them back into a war in Europe. Uh, they'd just seen the devastation in World War I. They said, never, never again. So when the German military began to move into Poland, some of northern Europe, uh, there was one voice, one voice who said, this, this is not going to end here. This needs to stop. We need to do something about it. But the rest of the nation just said no way, completely uh, ignored him. Instead, they decided to take a posture of appeasement. You know, let's just relax, keep everybody, everybody happy. Um, until the bombs started to fall over England. Then they listened a little closer to the voice of Winston Churchill. The battle had come to them. They had, had no choice. It could not be ignored. Okay, we're in a battle, not against the churches down the street, not against the, our unbelieving neighbors, not against those in the church who may not agree with us at every point. We battle against Satan, the spiritual forces of evil, intent on abusing and enslaving all within their grasp. And don't we know that sin is a very harsh taskmaster? That's what, the, what we see next for the Israelites. It would seem that there is a glimmer of hope here for the Israelites. The Lord had visited His people. Something is, is going to happen. There's anticipation in the air. What, what is Pharaoh going to do? How is he going to respond to this? What, what is this relief going to look like? And it's quite possible, uh, given Pharaoh's response here, that they had slowed down in their work. They may have even gathered in mass at a particular place, waiting uh, for the report of Moses and Aaron. Um, but we know Pharaoh's going to control them. He's going to squash down any sort of uprising or gathering, and, and putting them to slave labor has worked for centuries. 
So if we're going to get them back to work, then he, uh, he goes about this uh, in a similar way. They're getting lazy. That's it. That's why they can say this. Look at verse 8, verse 17. They don't have enough to do, and so they're getting these fancy ideas that they need to go in the wilderness and worship. So Pharaoh lays a burden on the people that they simply cannot meet. The straw that they were supplied to make the clay bricks is cut off. You've seen the road construction, those iron, maybe there's steel rebars through the cement and the road to strengthen the foundation, kind of prevent cracking. That's what straw would do with this clay and allowed them to, to dry the bricks without having a separate way of, of drying them so they could make a lot more bricks when they had uh, the straw and the clay. Uh, but now they have to find their own straw. Uh, or even cut from the, the stubble that's still attached to the ground uh, from a field that's been worked over. And there, there's no way they're going to keep up with uh, the amount of work that's been uh, laid on them. Uh, so soon they're overwhelmed and... Uh, and in the abuse that follows, they, they appeal to Pharaoh. And here's his response, verse 17. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. So just when they thought it couldn't get worse, it gets worse. This was not the outcome they expected. This didn't look like deliverance for the Israelites. And this is... Certainly something they let Moses and Aaron know when they leave the Egyptian court. Verse 20, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. You have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses, this cannot be what the Lord has in mind. This plan has backfired. And their attitude really hasn't changed when Moses shares a word of assurance. This is in chapter 6, 6 verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. The language here is really one of despondence. They're impatient for what is to come and they are despondent. Moses, whatever. We don't want to know. Um, this, this cruelty will, will never end. Life was hard before you showed up, and now look where we are. We, we just, enough. We don't want to know. I don't think it's hard to sympathize with the people here. I mean, there's all kinds of ink in chapter 5 to show just how painful this was for God's people. You can't miss that. But what do we learn through, through this and from the words that the Lord gives uh, through Moses. I want to read what Moses shared with them. In the midst of the pain, this is uh, 6, beginning at verse 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Israel learns that they're going to need something a lot more than words to convince Pharaoh. And 
they're not going to convince Pharaoh at all. It is the Lord who will do the convincing. The Lord will have to do this work. And the, the verses we just read make this crystal clear. I will bring, I will deliver, I will redeem, I will take you, I am the Lord. So this was to be an assurance for the people that he is faithful to his covenant. He's going to bring, he's going to bring justice upon Egypt. Bring justice for this abuse that they have endured. And he's going to give them the land of promise, not just a place where they can sojourn and be resident aliens like the patriarchs before them, but a place that will truly be theirs. They will possess this. Um, So they're going to be able to look back and see this mighty hand of deliverance. I I will keep my covenant. I will be your God as I have been all along. So that's what the people learn and what they're hearing but not hearing uh, in their present condition. So do you hear their plea? Do you feel their impatience and their pain? You know, we, we may be living in obedience to the Lord. We may be walking in light of the truth and things may get worse before they get better. I mean, if you haven't been there yet, if you're not there right now, then you will encounter times of despondency and and discouragement, great impatience on this road of discipleship. Does the Lord care? Does He abandon us? Is He not as powerful as He claims? How long, O Lord, will You look on? Rescue me from their destruction. My precious life from the lions, says David in Psalm 35. Another plea in the songbook of Scripture, Psalm 119. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? You know, the discouragement and pain is so very real. It's important to note here what the psalmist is doing, what we find the people of uh, Israel not doing in this uh, pain. They're asking questions, they're crying out, But who are they crying out to? It's not to God. They're crying out to Pharaoh. Rather than praying for deliverance, they're begging Pharaoh to make their slavery easier. And we've just said that that sin is a cruel taskmaster. This This is something, this sin is a captivity that we're all born into. And Paul says in Titus 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures. Again in Romans 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Okay, Enslaved to sin, there is no relief. There is no hope. For the people to cry out to Pharaoh might be for us to, to cry out to Satan saying, Help me! Just lighten this load. Bring some relief. But the great deceiver and the accuser of God's people does not bring relief. He's relentless. There is no freedom. So why would we cry out to Him? The cruelty will only continue unless the divine power of God frees Israel from their bondage. Unless the divine power of God frees us from our bondage to sin. We cannot escape sin on our own. We love it too much. Only God can deliver us. 
Only God alone has the power to change our hearts, to give us a deeper love, a greater love, and bring freedom from sin and from death. So cry out to Him when things are only getting worse. Ask Him the hard questions. He can take this. This was the practice of all the faithful who have gone before us. I think of Abraham, David, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, even Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can cry out honestly, submitting to the character of God. He will answer as He decides. But allow Him to refocus your vision. Allow Him to recalibrate your expectations and your longings. I mean, if this shows the people anything, it shows them their great need of salvation. That their best life is certainly not now, but is to come. It really should fuel their longing, fuel hope for deliverance in that land of promise. I mean, that's, that's the destination. That is the, the end goal. Um, so, brothers and sisters, keep that destination in front of you. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. You know, you take those long road trips, some of you will take over spring break, over the summer. Um, you know, what, what keeps you going? You've got the fuel stops, you've got all the potty breaks, you've got the sore muscles sitting in the car, maybe you've got a mechanical flat tire on the way. What keeps you going? It's the destination. Spending time at that place or, or with those people makes all those other things worth pressing through. This light momentary affliction, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, is not to be compared with the eternal weight of glory that is ours in Christ. That this affliction is actually preparing for us as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. So the Lord will continue His good work in the lives of the people. He will Teach us through suffering, sometimes persistent suffering. Let's keep in mind that our, um, our pain is often so much more complex than we think. Like what uh, one pastor shared, he said, God loves to glorify Himself in ways that go well beyond what we anticipate. I mean, consider the life and the suffering of Job. You know, it went from bad to It really went from bad to worse for Job. And was it a particular sin that God was going after? Eh. Did Job have an expectation that walking in righteousness, walking in obedience to the Lord meant increased comfort and safety? I mean, that's often our default, isn't it? You know, what, what did I do that this is happening? You know, I'm trying to follow the Lord, but this is still happening. And the Lord draws near. He purifies in our suffering, which, which may or may not be about us. You know, in, in a world that is hashtag me, or hashtag all about me, um, that, that's very hard for us to swallow, to think that our suffering is not about us. But God answering that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, in my life as it is in heaven. And this is the prayer of Jesus before the Father. Not my will, but your will be done. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. How comfortable and safe and easy does taking up a cross sound? As things go from bad to worse, we share in the sufferings of Christ. 
The Apostle Paul says that you know, this is not only expected, it's proof, proof of discipleship. For this sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. It's the glory of God, the exaltation of Christ, the coming of His kingdom that is the root of our suffering. So rather quickly here, we need to look at one last response to this question, who is the Lord? And for Moses, it was, I thought I knew. Um, he had told Pharaoh that the God of the Hebrews had met with us. He had been told by God that, that Pharaoh would not just let the people go, but, but, but things are starting to come together. The leaders uh, listened, and Aaron is here. You know, they've got an audience with Pharaoh. Let's get on with it. Let's march. And now, as the Lord's spokesman, he's been rejected by Pharaoh, cursed out by the leaders, and more of them are dying under an impossible workload. Verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, you know, that's a good place to start, right? Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. It's backfired. I thought I knew what was going on here. But you haven't come through. The people of Israel, they blame Moses, and then Moses in turn blames God for what's happening. So Moses brings his plea to God. This is, this is good, but his blame casting, it shows, shows impatience, shows unbelief. I think it's interesting that Moses, he's really telling the story on himself, isn't he? He's showing that he was impatient for God's deliverance. Do you think the people in the wilderness will need to hear that? Or every generation thereafter has to learn that God's timing is so very rarely coincides with our expectations. He knows what we need and he knows what we can take so much better than we do. So the Lord responds to Moses. He assures him, uh, this is the first five verses in chapter 6. Um, take courage, Moses. Pharaoh is going to release the people, not just for three days, but he's going to want to push them out of Egypt. Um, I am the Lord. And he says that, that phrase, I am the Lord, that, that, that's only two other times in the Old Testament, in Genesis 15 and 28. And in both of those times, it's in connection with the promise of land to the descendants of the patriarchs. So here we're, we're continuing this pattern. Verse 3, I appeared to Abraham, 6 verse 3, to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. So to do the people, the Lord assures them with what, will, what He will do. And to Moses, the Lord assures them of what uh, He has done. He has appeared. He has established His covenant. He will do uh, what He promises to do. Psalm 105. We hear He remembers His covenant forever. The word that He commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that He made with Abraham is sworn promise to Isaac, which He confirmed to Jacob as a statute. To Israel is an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Does God know what He's doing? Moses thought he knew. God assures him with his very covenant name in the middle of this mess. 
So do you and I take comfort in the God who keeps His promise? Do we trust His heart in the middle of the mess when we cannot trace His hand? And maybe you've asked the question that Moses asked. I know I have from time to time. Lord, why did you ever send me? I've just made a mess of this. It's not working. And then Moses takes a shot from these frustrated and hurting leaders. Certainly nothing new in the life of God's people to lash out at their leaders when they are impatient or mad at God. I mean, let's be honest. If we could punch God, we would, but we can't. So we lash out with our words or in other ways to those closest to us that speak in His name. Sometimes we're on the receiving end, other times on the giving end of these strokes. Uh, but God's so very patient. He's present with His people. That's at the very heart of His name. So who is the Lord? Pharaoh says, I don't know, I don't care. People say, we're done, we don't want to know. And Moses, I thought I knew. So how would you answer that question right now? Who is the Lord? Uh, do you know Him personally? As your covenant Lord, your heavenly Father? We can trust the heart of our Heavenly Father. He moves with compassion to deliver. He remembers His covenant. He remembered His covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I will bring you out. I will deliver. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Jesus has taken the worst for you and for me. He continues to intercede on our behalf. So look to Him in your discouragement, and your impatience, suffering. Um, he'll continue to comfort you by His Spirit. He gives us a table as an assurance of this. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank You for this time in Your Word. The way in which You feed us through Your living Word and the way in which You feed us now at this table. Lord, use it to strengthen our faith, to grow us uh, in grace, to grow us in love for You and for one another. We offer this in Christ's name. Amen.